0: You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. Good morning. I'm Ashley. Um, I'm in the Houses Community Group. We're we're glad you're here this morning. Um, I'm going to be reading from Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. Um, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is, it, is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman, and now it is true that I am a Redeemer, yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it, but if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning." So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever.
1: Amen. Thank you, Ashley. Hey, good morning. My name's Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Church. It's good to be with you. If you're a guest, thank you so much for being here. Under your chair, there is a connect card. You can take a minute, fill that out. Let us know how we can connect with you, how we can serve you, and how we can get you plugged into the life of the body. And if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Chad's back there. He'll bring you one. And if you're on your phone or your tablet, we use the ESV. So we're back in our, our series in Ruth, and just a little disclaimer, if you're familiar with the story of Ruth, today is the day uh, that you've probably been waiting for. There are going to be some semi-explicit moments, and because of, not because of what happens, but because of the potential for what could actually happen. And so as a small church plant with a small kids ministry, uh, I recognize that there are kids in the room, including two of my own. And so um, I will try to discuss some of these concepts with some sensitivity and hopefully some tact and just be really careful uh, to not have conversations with your kids that you're supposed to have. So um, one other brief disclaimer, uh, there are some cultural customs here that are going to be super weird for us. For example, Naomi's advice, if you're listening to the text, Naomi's advice to Ruth is not advice you should ever give your daughter in terms of like dating and courtship and marriage. But the narrator just does not waste words. He gets us straight to the point. So don't let the uniqueness and the ambiguity in this situation and in this story lead you to miss the whole point of of the book of Ruth, that God is working for our good and for his glory. There's a lot of tension in this story. There's a lot of tension in this text, both real and perceived. So the narrator is really trying to build some suspense. Because while this is a story about real people in a real time and in a real place, this is also a really good piece of literature. Like, the Bible is not meant to be boring (laughs) And so I want to quickly review, like do a real quick flyover's worth of review for the last four or five weeks, and then hop into our text this morning because there's a lot to cover, and I'm really looking forward to walking through this together. So Ruth has been gleaning, and Boaz is filled. Boaz, as a man of integrity, has protected Ruth, and he has cared for her, and he has cared for her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi. Naomi, we see at the end of chapter 2, which is what we discussed last week, is going from being a bitter widow to slowly turning a corner back to faith and back to dependency in God. We also learn that at the end of the chapter, end of chapter 2, that Boaz is a relative of Naomi's, and therefore Boaz can act as a redeemer for them if he so chooses, We had highlighted this this idea of redemption last week. So how it worked out in this culture was that if a family became poor, oftentimes they would lose their property or they had to be sold into slavery or indentured servitude in order to pay their debts. And a kinsman redeemer, a relative who could redeem, would come and pay the ransom for them. He would buy their property back, He would pay the price to redeem them from slavery. And this isn't entirely the situation in the book of Ruth because though they're poor, Naomi and Ruth aren't in debt and they're not enslaved. Boaz is also not a brother of the deceased. And because Ruth is a foreigner, she's a Moabitess, Boaz doesn't really have any obligations to do anything. He is purely a relative He had the right to redeem, but not the obligation to do so. He had the right to redeem, but not the obligation to marry Ruth in the same way a brother of her deceased husband would. Uh, We've talked about leveret marriage. Uh, A man marries a woman. They have no kids together. The man dies. Then the man's brother has to marry the deceased widow in order to raise up a child and continue on the family lineage. None of these are obligations uh, that Boaz has to fulfill. And he doesn't have to do it because she's a Moabitess, and he doesn't have to do it because she's not his brother's wife. And we also learn there's, a, there's an unnamed redeemer, a closer relative in relation to Naomi than Boaz is. And that's where we left off last week. And again, I just want to remind us that the story of Ruth is a story of us all. So may we see that again in this text this morning. Let's pray and we're going to dive in. Lord Jesus, we need you. Lord, we are a thankful people. Lord, thank you that you did not see fit to leave us poor, destitute, enslaved to sin. Lord, but you, Jesus Christ, are our Redeemer. So may we just see you high and exalted and lifted up this morning, Lord, and may the knowledge that you have redeemed us impress on us um, to live and act and be people of faith, live and act in obedience and in accordance with your word, Lord. Church, I'd ask if you're willing that you'd pray for yourself. Pray that the Lord would bring encouragement where encouragement is needed And conviction where conviction is needed. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Ruth chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, "'My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, "'that it may be well with you?' So let's set the scene here. Uh, harvest time is over. There's a six to eight week period where the crops were, were grown and ready to be to be harvested. And that time has ended. And so the next step then would be to separate the wheat and the barley or whatever else from the chaff. And so there was this practice in uh, ancient Near East customs. The, the farmer would go to this place, and this place was known as the threshing floor. He would take his pitchfork, and he would scoop out a mixture of grain and straw and chaff, and he would throw it into the air, and the night breezes would blow away the chaff, like the undesirable part of the, of the harvest, and the heavier kernels of grain would then fall to the ground. So then he'd scoop them up, and, and that, was, that was his reward for all the hard work they were doing over the last six to eight weeks. So he's at the threshing floor, and this is a communal event. This is like on the calendar. It's time to go to the threshing floor. It was a communal event, and it was a joyful occasion, because when the threshing would take place, this was a sign of abundance and a sign that the harvest had been good and that God had provided. And at this particular moment in history, it was especially a joyful and glad time, because if you remember the context of the book of Ruth, uh, Naomi and her family had moved to Moab because of a severe famine in the land of Israel. So the nation of Israel had just come out of a severe famine, and the fact that there is crop to be harvested and, uh, and crop to be winnowed meant that God had restored the nation. Then these farmers would like pile up their harvests, And they would sleep next to the winnowed barley. Because again, as the setting of Ruth suggests, during this time, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So if one was going to leave their harvest and their crop, leave it unattended, it would get stolen. So they'd protect their crop from from would-be thieves by sleeping next to their, their grain heap. So Naomi devises a plan. John Piper calls it a strategic righteousness, uh, meaning this. Tony Marita says that God's sovereignty, which we have seen at work throughout the book of Ruth, is not a license for human inactivity. God's sovereignty is not a license for human inactivity. That would be not trusting the Lord. That would actually be testing the Lord. No, we should work and we should act in view of and because of God's work and God's activity, not purely motivated by our own wants and our own desires. Man, and this can be a real tricky line for us to walk as believers. But we can always trust in the sovereignty and in the providence of God to act on behalf of his children. So Naomi has previously prayed that the Lord would provide Ruth rest in the home of a new husband. And here, here she sees an opportunity that God has provided, and that leads her to act. Naomi is switching in this moment from being the cared for to taking on a role of action her depression which has been so debilitating up to this point in the narrative has lessened to the point where she is now trusting god she is now able to act she is no longer functioning like a victim but rather she's a person who now has hope and this hope this hope has led her to movement by faith in god who is clearly showing himself to be working in her situation And working in the situation of these two poor widowed women. Naomi's finally able to see past her circumstances by the grace of the Lord, and she is seeing God at work in her circumstances. So she gives Ruth some instructions. Number one, Ruth, take a bath and put on some perfume. Girl, clean yourself up. Take off your widow's garments. The time of mourning for your deceased husband is over. And go to where Boaz is. And wait until he's full from dinner. It's never a good idea to have a conversation with a dude when he's hungry. Uh, Wait until he's full from dinner. Watch where he lays down and goes to sleep. And then go over to him and uncover his feet and lay down at his feet. And then he'll give you some instructions. So there is a lot going on here. First, we see uh, this is Naomi's attempt to secure Ruth a husband and secure for themselves a redeemer. And by doing so, this will secure protection and provision for them. That's what's in view here, and that much is clear. What is not clear, though, is why Naomi would choose to do it in in this way. Why send your daughter-in-law out in the night in a really dangerous time and place? Again, we've seen both Boaz and Naomi telling Ruth, stay near to my people, stay near to my workers, stay near to my young men and my young women, lest you be assaulted in broad daylight. So how much more dangerous is it for Ruth to be leaving the safety of her home at night? Why would Naomi have Ruth do that? Well, here are a couple possibilities. Number one, uh, Naomi is indifferent towards Ruth's safety. And prior to this text, prior to in last week's text, you could certainly make that argument where Ruth is treated more like an inconvenience than a person. But... I don't think this is likely because, based on the nature of this exchange and like the nature of Naomi's uh, attitude and her circumstances seeming to be changing, based on the temperature of this discussion, this isn't likely what's taking place. This is also risky because it is possible. We see Boaz as a man of character, but he's still a man prone to weak moments. It is possible that Boaz could fall victim to sexual temptation, and both of them could compromise and fall into moral failure by engaging in some illicit behavior of sexual relations outside of God's design. God's design is sex within marriage, and that is God's command. And sex outside of marriage is against God and is sinful. It's rebellion against God and his created order for marital relationships. So why would Naomi risk this? Well, here's why. What we're seeing in Naomi sending Ruth out to Boaz in the middle of the night is Naomi is confident in Boaz's character as a man of God. Boaz, as we've seen, is a picture of the coming Messiah, and he will honor Ruth as a person and show the same care for her that he has been showing them throughout the narrative of Ruth. Man, this situation... This could lead both of them to compromise. And yet, this is going to be a picture of purity and self-control and honor for one another and honor for God. So Ruth says, yep, that all sounds good. I'll go out in the middle of the night. I'll do it. Yet again, a picture of honor and commitment to Naomi from Ruth. Ruth has been steady, Ruth has been faithful towards her mother-in-law, even when her mother-in-law did not deserve this kind of grace from Ruth. So Ruth puts forth the effort required to look and smell her best, bath, perfume, deodorant, makeup, new new clothes, all the stuff, and she gets ready to go out for this encounter. Verse 6, So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came and softly uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. So, up to this point, Ruth has been obedient to her mother in law and followed the plan to a T. Boaz had a satisfied tummy. Boaz has had some wine, and he went to sleep by his heap of grain. And so just as a brief disclaimer here, Boaz is not drunk, okay? We know this because the book of Ruth has commended Boaz as Boaz a man of character throughout. It calls Boaz a worthy man. And since the Bible always condemns drunkenness as a sin... If Boaz were a drunkard, the Bible wouldn't be so kind to his character. And so what I'm about to say is not an endorsement of alcohol, but what I will say is that God does give us gifts to enjoy. We, though, in our sin will abuse those gifts. So specifically with alcohol, that can lead to over-drinking, getting drunk, um, it can lead to dependency. It can lead to poor decisions. And let's be real honest, our culture is just really obsessed with alcohol. So for some of you, it would be wise for you to completely abstain. And for others, if you can enjoy alcohol in moderation, do so to the glory of the Lord. Celebrating the giver of the gifts, not the gift itself. And if you abstain, man, abstain abstain to the glory of the Lord. So that's just a little brief aside So, back to Ruth. She sneaks in, and she gently uncovers his feet, and she lays down beside them, parallel, perpendicular, I don't know, whatever the case is, she's down there, and Boaz, I think, this is how I picture it, like, you ever had a moment where you like stick a leg out of the blanket and you, know, like, you get cold somewhere in the middle of the night? Boaz, in the middle of the night, his feet are uncovered. And again, he's at the threshing floor where there's these night breezes. And so his feet are cold from the night breeze. So he wakes up to adjust his blanket. And in the darkness of the night, he's like, there's somebody down there. There's something down at my feet. Me? I'm probably freaking out a little bit. I don't know. I've got four kids. I don't know if you've ever woken up to somebody just like staring at you. That's my kid's spiritual gift, by the way. Um, My kids do this to me, and it is always super risky for them because I don't like being scared in in the middle of the dead sleep. Safety not guaranteed if you wake me up uh, from a deep sleep and and you me. But Boaz seems to stay calm, like there's a woman in his bed. What's about to happen? We get some tension here. Let's go. Look at this exchange. Verse 9 Boaz, he said, Who are you? And she, being Ruth, answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Again, the threshing floor, it's a communal place. But in the time of the book of Judges where this book is set, it's a time where everyone was doing whatever they wanted. So at the threshing floor, there was also a lot of drunkenness. There was also a lot of debauchery. There was also a lot of prostitution. And so Boaz wakes up and there's a woman in his bed. And he's trying to decide who is in my bed and what does this person want with me? Who's there, he said. Who's, who's down there? And Ruth answered, it's me. Spread your wings over me because you are a redeemer. Ruth has completely deviated from the plan. Instead of waiting for Boaz to give instructions like her mother-in-law tells her to do, Ruth proposes marriage to Boaz. This is the scandal of the story. Ruth is a woman proposing marriage to a man. Ruth is a Moabite, a foreigner from a cursed people, proposing marriage to a man from the people of God. Ruth is poor. She's proposing to a rich man. But here's Ruth, being bold, expressing her intentions to Boaz. She is not interested in some trashy one-nighter with Boaz. She's interested in marriage. She says, spread your wings over me. Boaz has used this expression before, telling Ruth that she has found safety under the wings of God. And we see this type of expression and imagery used by God in Ezekiel as a metaphor for marriage and God's covenant relationship to his people, the nation of Israel. Ezekiel 16.8 says, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made a vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. This is Ruth asking Boaz to act because of his relationship to God. Boaz is pleased with this proposal. So there's clearly an obvious age gap between Ruth and and Boaz, and I don't know how many years this is, but... Based on how Boaz responds, Ruth could have gone after anyone. Like she could have, she could have been with anyone, including the unnamed redeemer who uh, we can imply is closer in age to Ruth than Boaz is. Ruth could have, because of her youth, pursued a younger man. But Ruth is a woman of substance and a woman of depth, and she chose a man of character and a man of substance as well. Man, if you're single, take note. It's okay to pursue somebody you're attracted to. However, if that's all you're looking for, man, these things are fleeting and will potentially lead to a lot of brokenness if you're not pursuing a relationship with someone that will push you towards Christ. Man, choose a spouse for their character. Don't choose a spouse because of, like, potential. Like, choose a spouse because of patterns. Don't choose a spouse because of blind love or because you think you can fix this person. Man, let Ruth and Boaz guide you to be a person of integrity who marries a person of integrity. Christians, be people of integrity. Single Christians in here, especially single dudes, be men of integrity. Treat the girl you are pursuing or in a relationship with honor and treat her with the honor that she's worthy of because she's a daughter of God and she's also your sister in Christ. And don't play games, don't make demands, don't be takers, men. Be givers and be kind and be leaders. And serve and honor the women in your life because of Christ's kindness to you. So back to the text. This plan now depends on Boaz and Boaz alone. Under the circumstances, again, Boaz doesn't have to do anything. The tension is definitely mounting. What is Boaz going to do? And what about this unnamed redeemer fella? Verse 11. And now, this is Boaz speaking, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it's true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So Boaz could have forced Ruth into a scandalous affair. Boaz could have sent her away and just disregarded her completely. And he does none of those things. We see Ruth is gaining a positive reputation in town, which will become important in the next couple texts. But can you imagine, just for a second, how fast her heart must have been beating? Like, Just how nervous she must have been. Man, this is such a risky move for for Ruth. Both on a personal level and a social level, she has so much to gain. She also has a lot to lose. And Boaz just speaks peace over her. Boaz again acts with integrity. He says, yes, I am a redeemer, but there is another one, another man who has a more legitimate claim and I'll take care of it. I'll handle it. He could have had Ruth handle it on her own, but again, he is protecting, and he is providing for her. He says, if this man will redeem you, good, let him do it. If not, then I will gladly do so. Now go back to sleep. Go back to sleep until morning. Don't make a risky walk home. Stay here. So now Boaz is risking his reputation as a man of character, and she is risking her own reputation of not being considered a flusie. Okay, so there's this potential scandal has been avoided, at least in their own consciousness. Look at verse 14. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it, be no- let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you were wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother in law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty handed to your mother in law. The night's over, dawn is near. They get up in order that they may not be seen. They're up early. Boaz tells her, hey, lay out your garment, and he loads her up with six measures of barley. Last week, we talked about an and today we're talking about six measures. Um, I just want to say thank God for whoever that person is who started using weight in terms of pounds. Uh, am I right? Yeah. Six measures of barley, 80 pounds of grain. So Boaz in the last two weeks has provided these two widows with over 100 pounds of food. Commentators would suggest that this is symbolic that he only gave her six measures instead of seven. The number seven in the Bible signifies perfection and completeness. So for example, God created the world in six days, but it was incomplete by biblical standards until he rested from his work on the seventh day. So these six measures of barley are showing us that Ruth is incomplete without her redemption being accomplished. Ruth lacks one more measure of seed, the seed of a child, for the family line to continue. And in due time, we'll see how this plays out. But presently, Boaz provides again for her and her mother-in-law he loads up a tremendous amount of weight on her back, and she goes off. And now if anyone asks him about their night, uh, he, can, he can tell them like he's providing for his relative. There is nothing scandalous about this at all. She shows up back home, and Naomi asks her, how have you fared? In the Hebrew, the literal reading is, who are you, my daughter? Clearly, Naomi knows it's Ruth. What she's asking Ruth is, are you the same as when you left? Are you still a widow? Are you engaged? Has your status been elevated? Are we still poor? So Ruth summarizes their conversation and presents Naomi with 80 pounds of barley. And Naomi responds, wait, my daughter until you learn how this matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Boaz is going to have this figured out and figured out quickly. So their action has now led them to rest. They are resting in the nature and character of Boaz, who has shown them kindness before and will continue to be kind to them again. The tension is set. What is gonna happen? Well, you'll have to come back next week to see how this all shakes out. So But here's what this has to do with us. What we see in the book of Ruth is that Boaz is a man of character and integrity. So Naomi hatches this plan and Ruth executes it. And all of this dependent upon the person and work of Boaz to act. And act he does. And at the end of our text today, he promises to act. And he sends her away with provision. This is a hint of future provisions for them. And it has been our refrain since the beginning of the book of Ruth, since we were introduced to Boaz. We see Boaz as a picture of the coming Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the better Boaz. We are all like Ruth, poor and destitute, needing to be redeemed. Because of our sin, we are by nature a cursed people, enemies of God, completely wrecked by sin. We have not only broken rules, but we sin in rebellion against God. And were it not for Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who came and rescued us by His death for us on the cross, paying the payment, demanded for our sin, were it not for Christ, we would remain in sin and death and hell would be the consequences of that. But praise God, Christ has come and purchased our redemption by his blood through his death and through his resurrection. Man, we are all like Ruth. We come to our Redeemer with absolutely nothing to offer. Ruth has nothing to give him. Ruth has nothing to offer him. By all accounts, it's actually going to cost Boaz to redeem Ruth. And yet, Boaz is determined to redeem. Just like our Savior Jesus, we have nothing to offer Christ. And Christ is willing to redeem us. We have nothing to offer Jesus, and it cost him his life. And yet, for the joy that was set before him, our redemption and the glory of the Lord, he endured the cross. And we're all like Ruth in this way, too. Because of the cross of Christ, to save us from our sin... And we can now humbly yet boldly approach our Redeemer and ask him to cover us under the protection of his wings. We can humbly and boldly approach God and ask him for the things we need. And we get to pray for him. And sadly, so often we just don't. Through this redemption, we have access to the Father through the indwelling of the holy spirit by the precious blood of christ that has bought us and redeemed us from our sin and from our shame and sadly a lot of times just doesn't motivate us to do anything we have access to god by faith in god romans 10:9 tells us that all who call upon the name of the lord will be saved And all who are saved are bought with a price and brought near to God through the cross and resurrection of Jesus by adoption into a family. And we are given an inheritance into a kingdom that will last forever through the eternal reign of Jesus Christ who has worked to complete our salvation in and through himself. Therefore, Christians, we have been given a new heart. Because of Christ's work in our life, our hearts are different. Our desires have been changed. As Christians, we are being sanctified. We are being grown in Christ's holiness, grown in Christ's likeness, to love God and to pursue the things of God. So because of our radical heart change, we have been called to live for the Lord instead of trying to live for ourselves. And when our hearts have been changed, the things of the Lord bring us joy and fulfillment. We see this play out in our text today in this way. A relationship with God impacts our motivations and impacts our desires. It impacts how we function in a world that is hostile and ambivalent towards the things of Jesus. You see, Ruth and Boaz could have engaged in some illicit activity. But because of the calling of God on their lives to love and follow God by faith in God and obedience to God, they are motivated by the glory of God for their lives and God's reputation in a lost and dying world. And what about you? And what about you? Man, there's a real danger for me right this second to... Make this all about behavior modification, like change how you act, follow the rules. That's not the point of the gospel. However, there is a real danger for you to sit out there in willful, ongoing, unrepentant sin and do whatever you want to do. And God's calling on your life is so much greater and so much more glorious to be cheapened by not caring about the Lord's calling to you. Are you living like Jesus? Are you living like Jesus? Does the cross of Christ move you to the worship of Jesus and a desire for personal holiness? A desire for purity in your own life? A desire to live like Jesus? Man, listen, there is grace for our failures. Praise the Lord. However, that grace should not lead us to ambivalence towards Christ. That grace should not lead us to just not caring about the calling of the Lord on our life. Man, Christ's glory is at stake. And so is our good. Sin is more than just breaking rules. Sin is active rebellion against God. And God will not be mocked. He has called us into faith In order to live for him, in order that he is glorified in and through us, in order that by our lives people are led to the exaltation of Jesus. Christian, are you living this kind of life? Are you living a life that honors Christ? Or are you just pursuing your own wants, your own desires? Are you blinded by your own sin? And I just ask you to ask the Lord to reveal any areas in your life where you are blinded by your own sin. Man, if you're not a believer this morning or you're not sure if you are, I'd ask you to consider Jesus too. This Jesus who is kind to you, who has made a way for you to be redeemed and reconciled back to God through his death. Is your faith in him? Or are you purely living for yourself? Man, are you just weary and struggling with sin and shame? Christ went to the cross. Christ went to the cross for you so you can have life in and through him by faith in him. All that is required of you is not good works but faith faith in Jesus and what he accomplished for you. So repent, turn from your sin, and ask the Lord to forgive you and receive this forgiveness by faith. Let's pray.